Good morning. It's good to be in God's house. Everybody doing good? You ready for God's word? You know, my, my kids, they exaggerate every boo-boo. Any, any parents here know what I'm talking about? Some little tiny microscopic cut, right? They got to go show everybody and talk about what happened, right? And, uh, you know, the, of course, they've got to have a Band-Aid, even if there's no blood involved, because a Band-Aid's going to fix everything, you know, especially if it has the right cartoon character on it. And then, you know, these same two kids who in the summertime are spending hours, they're like fish in Nona and Papa's pool. They're splashing, they're laughing, they're going under the water, but get them in a bathtub. And a single droplet of water gets on an eyelid. Give me a towel, give me a towel, give me a towel. Parents, you know what I'm talking about? If you don't get the towel there, this is code red stuff here, people. Zero pain tolerance. Zero discomfort tolerance. Everything is a big deal. Look, I, I'm, I'm making fun of my kids here a little bit. I guess that's okay. But look, look, some of you walked in here today, and four people sitting around you right now, they know your entire, entire medical history right now. Right? You came in, you told them all about your allergies and every ache and pain and what the best medicine is for congestion. Now they know your blood type. So welcome to Calvary Christian Center. You know it's the truth. This Sunday morning... And God willing, next Sunday morning, let's draw near to Calvary. And let's listen to some of the final words of Jesus while he was enduring real pain, real agony in the crucifixion, in his passion. You know, uh, this is just an observation uh, here. But the people that I've noticed in my life, the people that I'm drawn to, the people who are, who are deep, you know what I'm saying about? They've got layers, they, and they have, they have a perspective on stuff. The people who, who are the most amazing, the most compassionate people, the people with the best sense of humor are people who have walked through great pain in their life, great physical pain or great emotional pain, and they've got some perspective. Do you know what I'm talking about? Anybody else ever made that observation in your life? Notice that, that while Jesus is walking through this experience, you know, he doesn't say a lot during, during this time. Remember when he was 12 years old and his parents lost him, Mary and Joseph, they lose Jesus for a few days and they go looking for him and they find him where? He's in the temple. He's talking with the, the religious educated, the elite, right? And they're asking questions and he's answering and he's asking questions and it's going on and he's talking for days with them, Right? And as a man, as a grown man, he's preaching. He's preaching sermons to thousands. He's speaking to crowds gathered on hillsides. He's telling stories. And now he's in the trial of the millennium, and he has nothing to say. He spoke 46 words over this entire time, depending on your version of the Bible. 46 words while he endured the worst torment. How many of us are that silent when we're going through something? right? I could say more than that. You know, I say more than 46 words when the Wi-Fi shuts down, right? (laughs) When traffic is slow, help us, Lord. Not one of these 46 words is spent defending himself or condemning anyone else. He doesn't spend any of it complaining. Not once does he say, hey, when I get home and I see daddy, you are going to be in a lot of trouble because my daddy is so much bigger than your daddy. Like, isn't that something like what we would have said, right? Or maybe, hey, just wait until you die and you see who's on the other side of the courtroom. Oh, man, you're going to die again. I mean, can you imagine? 
Jesus is standing in front of this corrupt court, and they're asking him questions. They're accusing him of heresy and blasphemy, and I I wonder, I can't help but wonder if he's also looking forward into another courtroom, one in heaven, only this time he's wearing the judge's robe. But he doesn't speak to any of this. He doesn't say that. Instead, he says this. It's recorded in Luke chapter 23. Let's stand together for the reading of God's word this morning. Luke chapter 23. When they came to the place called the skull, they crucified him there, along with the criminals, one on his right and the other on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. Let's pray. Father, you are Lord of all things. And in our joy and in our suffering, you remain good. So take all of our moments and use them for your glory and teach us your ways and show us your great love. And everyone said, you may be seated. I think it's important to note the timing of when Jesus was saying these words. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. He didn't say that after he was resurrected. He didn't say that. He didn't wait till after he had, you know, some time to get over it. After, you know, he had some time for the wounds to heal. And, you know, after the angels give him a nice clean outfit to wear and he gets a home-cooked meal. No, he spoke these words at the lowest point during the highest amount of agony and pain and discomfort and humiliation. And what flows out of Jesus, what comes out of Jesus with all the blood and the pain is forgiveness and love and compassion And I think that tells us a profound truth, that the way you respond in the moment of pain is the truth of your character. That's quiet this morning. The way you respond in the moment of pain is the truth of your character. Pain and discomfort and inconvenience. Look, whatever comes out of you, whatever's coming out of your mouth and out of your thoughts and out of your spirit, that is the truth of where your character is. And the timing is critical to the statement. The pain is happening. The humiliation and the mocking and the degradation, it's all happening. And yet instead of issuing condemnation or complaining, what's coming out of Jesus is forgiveness. And as a Jesus follower, I'm working out my faith. And that means that I know that I have to forgive and I need to do it right away. But sometimes, you know, it takes me a little bit. Come on, help me out here this morning. It takes me a little bit. I need a moment, right? Because you just hurt me. You made me angry. You hurt me. You hurt somebody that I care about. You hurt somebody that I love. And I need to, you know, get over it before I can say, all right, all is forgiven. Am I alone here this morning? Do you know what I'm talking about, family? We, we've all come to a place where we've had to forgive somebody else. And, and what we grew and we matured and we, we healed. We arrived at a place, you know, where we got some perspective on what happened and we forgave. But I just want to point out here that what's happening is Jesus is forgiving while he is being crucified. Jesus closes the gap. He shows us how slow we are, how poor we are when it comes to exercising the power of forgiveness. It reminds me of a time when I was, I was having some fun one day out on private property. I'd gone out shooting with some veteran friends, and we were having a great time at a range, and we were doing time drills. 
which means you hit the button and you draw your firearm and you acquire the target and you pull the trigger. And I was feeling pretty good about myself that day, right? Because I could, I could do that. I could draw and acquire the target, pull the trigger, hit the target in less than 1.9 seconds. It was a good, it's not bragging if it's true is what I've been told, right? And I was feeling pretty good about myself until Roger walks over. Roger, uh, who served as a Navy SEAL, walks over to the line, steps up, does it, hits the target in less than a second. I had never seen anybody do something like that with my own eyes. I was, I was humbled. I was impressed. It was awesome all at the same time. I, it made me want to you know, try harder and do better. And that's what Jesus is showing us in terms of extending grace. Jesus walks up to the line and he shows us because he knows that forgiveness is the weapon that destroys bitterness. Forgiveness is the weapon that will open the trap of offense and set people free. Give him praise. And Jesus has come to destroy the works of the devil. And by forgiving, Jesus paralyzes the power of sin. And it's encouraging to watch the Holy Spirit work in my life and the things that, you know, used to affect me for days. Well, now I can bounce back with, you know, forgiveness and grace faster than ever. But during, this is another level. And Jesus did it because this is the truth of his character. You see, the Bible says that what happens in the dark, it's going to come out into the light. And what's happening on the inside of our hearts and our character is going to be on display Because in times of betrayal and pain and discomfort, who you really are is going to show up. And here we find out who Jesus really is. He is forgiving. He is compassionate, beaten, mocked, tortured, abused, abandoned, and humiliated. What flows out of Jesus is forgiveness. And it's beautiful. And I love it about Jesus. And we could spend the rest of the whole morning just talking about that. But we're going to go deeper. Because honestly, I think, you know, some of us, we've listened to the story of the crucifixion so many times that maybe some of us have lost the impact of what's happening, the reality of it. It it begins to lose impact if if we just listen over and over and we, we stop trying to peel back the layers of what was happening at the cross. And so this morning, we're going to do some massive peeling. Are you ready? Let's go back to the verse that we were reading. Jesus said, Father, forgive them. They do not know what they are doing. And they divided his clothes by casting lots. And so you have this picture in your head, right? Jesus is crucified. He's on the cross. Below stand the guards. And some of them are, are, you know, kneeling around some dice. And they're, they're playing poker for his robes, right? And Jesus is saying, forgive them. They don't know. And it changes over the next sentences. You know, they divided up his clothes. You might assume, just on a, on a face reading of it, that he's asking God to forgive the ones that just crucified him and are gambling for the robes, right? I mean, where's my English teachers at? Mom, you taught English. You know what I'm talking about? I mean, you could assume that. It makes sense. And, and, and we think we get it. I mean, the Romans, they're just following orders. The CEO said, these are the men that are going to be crucified today, so we crucify them. Hey, this robe is really nice. Let's not trash it. Let's throw dice. We don't understand the strange you know, Jewish religion or why they're mad about this guy. And we skim over the passage because, you know, we get it. We can, we can forgive them. They don't get it. But Jesus wasn't just talking about the Romans. The Romans weren't the only ones there that day. It was his own people, the Jews, the Pharisees, and the Sadducees. Okay, listen, these are, these are intensely religious people. And in order to even be considered for the job, you had to memorize the first five books of the Torah, okay? 
memorized. Some of you have a hard time remembering your email password. I mean, come on. How many times have I had to change, like, the Apple ID? Like, I don't even know. But there are people, these are people who read the prophets. They knew the history. They knew all the prophecies concerning Messiah. They've got the genetics. They've got the history. They know and follow the law. They have the context for the scripture. No one knows more about the Bible than these guys, except the one who was the word made flesh. And he was everything that they read about, everything that they prayed for, the person that thousands of generations begged for and believed for and prayed for was finally there. And they should have known him. They should have recognized him. And Jesus is saying, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And I think the most difficult people in our lives to forgive are the ones who knew what they were doing because they were close, a friend, a spouse, a member of your family. They knew you. They knew better. And they did you wrong. They betrayed you and they they stuck a knife and it cut deep. And they can't possibly, you know, just look at you all like blinkety blink and go like, well, really, I, I, I didn't know. Are you kidding me? Of course you knew. No one knows me better than you. Of course you knew. These are difficult people to forgive. Ignorant people, people that don't know us and we don't know them and they hurt us, well, we can sort of, we understand that, right? But people who should have known better. And then by the grace of God, you come to a place, you know, where you're able to forgive them. Can you do it while they are hurting you? Because the ones who put Jesus on the cross, they had no idea what was really transpiring. They had no idea that this would not be the end of his influence, but only the beginning. That 72 hours later, he would be raised triumphant and he would have defeated sin and death. They couldn't comprehend in that moment what was happening, that all around the world, his name would be lifted up as Lord and Savior. They had no idea. They thought they were killing Jesus. They had no idea that that cross would be lifted up on every continent in songs and prayers, and the name of Jesus would be lifted up everywhere. And that Greek word that Luke records here, that he writes when Jesus says, forgive, is afiz. It means to send away, to let go, to release and permit, to remit and forgive, and to permit. Forgiveness is a deliberate act of love and mercy and grace. Forgiveness is a decision to not hold something against someone else, another person, despite what they have done to you. This first word from Jesus on the cross is a prayer of forgiveness. And I think it's worth pointing out that saying anything at all from a cross required monumental effort and agony because of the position of the arms and the legs and the placement of the nails. It was all designed to torture and to suffocate a person slowly to death. So why did Jesus push and pull himself on the nails? Why scrape the raw flesh of his back against the beams to utter these words? I mean, couldn't the father just have known what was in his heart? Couldn't the maker of every mind know what was in his thoughts? Yes, of course he could. Jesus knew this moment was coming. He repeatedly and publicly spoke of it everywhere that he went, of of the suffering and the death and the resurrection that was to come. This was the plan before the creation of the world. Jesus had plenty of time to think about this day and these moments that were coming and to think about what he would say. And Jesus was saying, Father, 
They think they're making something here. Some think they have ended me. Some think they've preserved their their religious power. Some think they've preserved the status quo. Satan thinks he's masterminded a victory, but the results, they are not up to them. They're up to you because they have no idea what you're capable of. The end result will be a good one. And that is the secret power of forgiveness. Because forgiveness sees past the hurt. Forgiveness can see beyond the pain. Forgiveness can look past the disappointment. Forgiveness can even see beyond death itself, beyond abuse. It puts full faith in the power and the character of the Father to take every moment of our lives and use it for his glory. And Jesus forgave out loud so the Roman soldiers could hear it. These men who routinely put men to death in that place. As far as they were concerned, this is another execution. Here's another human life. We're ending it. There's no compassion. We're following orders, right? Only after they watched a man face death, unlike any of the hundreds they had executed there before, and after the darkness and the earthquake, did they suddenly realize with terror what they had done, and they said, surely this man was the Son of God. And Jesus, he forgave out loud for those religious elites who hated him. Hated him because he exposed their hypocrisy. He exposed the corruption. And Jesus said it for those who knew better, who knew God's word, but were offended by truth. They preferred religion to a life of repentance and grace that he was calling them to. And Jesus said it out loud for his mother. Because when someone hurts your family, Know what I'm talking about? When someone hurts your family, they're hurting you. He said it for her and for those few faithful who stood by her side through it all. Jesus didn't want that train wreck of lies and the illegalities and the beatings and the torture he was experiencing to coalesce into a dangerous bitterness and hate and cynicism in the hearts of those who loved him and were watching it take place. He didn't want them taking on offenses because of his pain. And to hear her own son forgive those who were killing him meant that Jesus cared about the spiritual well-being of his mother and of his friends past this day. That all of their memories of this horrible day and these horrible hours would also include a memory of his prayer of forgiveness and create a valve to release those negative and destructive emotions. And Jesus said it out loud for those who weren't there. He prayed it out loud so it would be repeated, so it would be recorded. He prayed it for a crooked politician named Pilate who knew he was innocent, who publicly stated it, but then he also washed his hands and signed the death order because he cared more about political expedience than truth. He prayed it for his own disciples who turned and ran away. He prayed it for Peter who denied he even knew him three times. But Jesus' words are eternal And this is for us today because it's alive. Hebrews chapter 13, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. And he was praying this prayer for us. Forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Jesus prayed that for you and he prayed it for me. And he put that prayer in time for all eternity 
Because it was our sins that put Jesus on the cross. It was our selfishness. It was our pride and rebellion and wickedness that destroyed the body of the Son of God. And because our God is eternal, because he abides before time and after time and simultaneously in every moment of time, when sinners like you wept and repented and sought forgiveness from a holy God, he was still in that moment listening to the prayer of his Son on the cross, praying for you, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. In the ritual sacrifices of the law given through Moses, there were regulations for sacrifices regarding sins committed. But if you notice, if you go back and read about all those sacrifices, somewhere in the description of the sacrifice is going to be a phrase that says something to the effect of, once they realize they have trespassed the law, then they are to offer blah, 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 blah right? These were sins, these were sacrifices that you would offer for sins that you didn't realize that you committed, that you committed in ignorance. So let's just, you know, uh, for an example, say that you're one of them. You go, you go through the Red Sea, you're delivered from Egypt, right? And you're celebrating and what? You like cook a pot of shellfish and you're wearing cotton poly pants and you get a tattoo of the Ten Commandments and then all the regulations come out and you go, oh no, I blew it. God didn't want me to do all that stuff. Now I got to offer the sacrifice, right? These were sacrifices for sins you committed that you didn't know. But there was no sacrifice for sins that were knowingly committed. That you knew it and you went and did it anyway. You know, like you could like work up a, like a this for that kind of a thing with God. Like, hmm, t- I'm going to lie about this deal. So let me look up the price for lying. Here's the sacrifice. We're all good, right, God? No, that's not how it works. You can't make a deal like that with God. You just had to pray for grace. And eventually everybody falls into this category. Romans chapter 3, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Eventually everybody must recognize that your only hope is the grace of God. A sacrifice would have to be made, but it couldn't come from us. And by praying this prayer over us, Jesus was in one motion pushing all sin into the they don't know what they're doing category. Because there was a bunch of sins in the knowing category. I know what I'm doing is wrong, but hey, I'm just going to do it anyway. And then there was a bunch in the unknowing category. Like, you know, you're just doing something, you're doing life, and then you come to realize, "Ah, I did something wrong. But Jesus has made one category. They don't know what they're doing. And there is only one hope for reconciliation. And that is the grace of God. Romans chapter 3 goes on to say, Yet God, in his grace, freely makes us right in his sight. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty for our sins. For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. This sacrifice shows that God was being fair when he held back and did not punish those who sinned in times past, for he was looking ahead and including them in what he would do in this present time. And God did this to demonstrate his righteousness, for he himself is fair and just, and he makes sinners right in his sight. When they believe in Jesus. Because knowing, it comes on in stages, doesn't it? Look, when I was a when I was a teenager and 
I was going my own way, and, and I, I hurt my parents, I hurt my family, I hurt them by, by lying to them, by deceiving them, by, by rebelling and, and mouthing off, by disrespecting them, and ultimately just walking off one day. They weren't home, I just packed my stuff up and was gone. All kinds of stuff that I did. Like, you know, I, I thought I knew what I was doing, and on a certain level, you know, I did know what I was doing, but then time goes on, and you get some perspective on things. And now I'm a parent, and I have a whole different understanding about what I was doing. And when I get to heaven, I'll have an even greater understanding about what I was doing, because then I will see who I was doing it to. And Jesus prays to the Father to forgive, knowing that forgiveness is about the inner well-being of the forgiver. Note that Jesus is asking the Father to forgive. I mean, isn't the inner well-being of God just a foregone conclusion? Isn't he just sort of, you know, floating around in, in a perpetual state of nirvana? I mean, how could God, you know, be concerned w- or with anything that happens down here on this mud ball? No, see, that's the perspective of a person who imagines, you know, a God who's just sort of floating somewhere in another dimension, disconnected and disassociated and unconcerned with our lives. But that is not the God of the Bible, If anything, we are the ones who are uncaring. We are the ones who are disconnected and detached and self-absorbed and hiding from God and hiding from each other. No, God is absolutely concerned with his creation. He is invested in your life from the first moment to the last and in every life. Romans chapter 12. Dear friends, never take revenge. Leave that to the righteous anger of God. For the scriptures say, I will take revenge. I will pay them back, says the Lord. In the justice system, if someone broke into my next door neighbor's house and they robbed their house, I don't get to press charges against those thieves who robbed my neighbor's house. Why? Because I wasn't the victim of that crime. It wasn't my house that they broke into. And neither do we get to exact punishment or revenge or withhold forgiveness. Why? Because we're not innocent victims. No, Jesus was innocent. Let me ask you this question. What is it that God will never share? Where's my, where's my church family at? Help me out. What is it God will never share? His glory, that's right. He will not share his glory Because he does not share the blame. On the cross, Jesus took all of the blame. He became sin. It is called his sin. He didn't just write a check that day. He became every vile sin. And the victim was him. And he gets to judge. And he chooses forgiveness. And Jesus prays his father will forgive. Because God is the one who is hurt the worst by our sin. His perfection, his generous love are the most abused by our rebellions and our wickedness. Remember, it didn't take very long for people to abuse God and to abuse each other to the point where God sent a flood to wipe out most of us, save Noah and his family. And now Jesus has come to reconcile us back to God. And what do we do? We murder him on a cross. And had God decided in that moment, I'm done, and he just toasted the whole planet to save one more second of pain from his son, he would have been totally justified in doing that. 
How many times should God, how many times could he have or should he have just walked away from you like, oh my gosh, I just can't even. But he didn't do that to you. Why? Because Jesus prayed for you on the cross. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Don't, don't let your wrath fall on them. Let it fall on me. Let it take, I'll take all of their sins on me, everything they've done against you and everything they've done against each other as if I was the guilty one. They don't understand us, Father. They don't understand our great love. Count it as ignorance. Forgiveness is an integral part of salvation. When Jesus forgives us our sins and our trespasses and iniquities, it's all erased. It's all wiped off the record. I'll never forget the day that Kirsten and I paid off our cars. Oh, man, that was a good feeling. We had smiles on all day long, just thinking. It just felt like a great weight was lifted off of our shoulders. The debt was gone. You know, we, could, we, we worked hard and we could budget and, and we could accomplish that. But the sins that we've committed against God and against each other, they're too many. They're too complicated to repay. You see, God is an immortal being. He experiences all times as now. And the sin that you committed, maybe it was a few hours ago. Maybe it was days or weeks or maybe years ago. But what does that even mean to God? You moved on. He's still in that moment. He's in every moment. And that's why there is a hell. Because offenses against an eternal being require eternal justice. But Jesus took the punishment that we deserved. So when God forgives you of your sin, you are free. You no longer live under that debt. Your sins are wiped out. Give him praise this morning. It is impossible to have salvation without forgiveness. Salvation is God's deliverance from the consequences of our sin. And his salvation through Jesus Christ is the ultimate example of forgiveness. And so I have a question for you this morning. Have you accepted the forgiveness of God? I came across this story uh, about a man who lived in Spain. And he and his son had a terrible falling out. And, and we're no longer speaking to each other. And the son moved away uh, to the city of Madrid. And years had gone by, and there had been no word or contact between them. And the father, you know, came to the place where he, he missed his son terribly and, and wanted to repair the relationship. And he didn't know how to find his son. This is, you know, several years ago was long before the Internet and he couldn't track him down. He didn't know where his son was living in the city of Madrid. So he took an ad out in the paper. And the ad just, you know, said in big type, Paco, his son's name was Paco. Paco, this is your father. All is forgiven. I love you. Will you meet me on Friday at 2 p.m. on such and such a street in front of the men's clothing store? And so Friday came. And the father went up to the store at 2 p.m., and 200 men showed up. 200 men named Paco show up to the men's clothing store looking for forgiveness from their fathers. And Jesus is saying to you, all is forgiven. Come home. Come to meet me here. I've already forgiven you. I know it. I know everything. Give him praise. 
My forgiveness for you, it comes freely, without conditions. It's immediate, but you have to come to me. Turn your back on sin. It's killing you. Pick up your cross and come to me and die and truly live. And Romans chapter 8 says, who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, and more than that, is raised to life, is at the right hand of God, and he is interceding for us. Come on, stand and give him praise in his house this morning. Thank you, Jesus. Jesus was praying for you then, and he's praying for you now. And he is interceding for you at this moment. You don't know what you're doing. You keep doing the same thing over, looking for another result. You keep getting back into the same old cycle of guilt and condemnation. But Jesus has broken the power of sin in your life. And he's praying for you. And he's spoken words of forgiveness over you. Will you receive it? If you're here this morning and you want to know that your sins have been forgiven and you are a child of God, would you raise your hand this morning in his house? I want to pray with you this morning. If that's you. Hear his words of prayer over you. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Is that you this morning? If you would like to receive salvation and receive that gift of grace, raise your hand this morning. His grace is here for you. Family, don't let sins paralyze you. No, let them propel you forward into his grace. Let them fill you with a a determination for a deeper relationship, a, a greater commitment to him and to never repeat them. Because your enemy is going to come around looking to put those chains back on you. He knows the areas where he has had success with you in the past. And he's going to try and probe you to try to drag you back into slavery. Stand firm, brothers and sisters. You send him a message that you're not falling for those lies anymore. And you stay close to the cross and remember what was paid for you. It is for freedom that Christ set you free. And so stand firm and never let yourself again be burdened by a yoke of slavery. Church family, if you're here and you're struggling to forgive someone in your life, come back to the cross and remember what was poured out for you and the forgiveness that was given you. Because when God forgave you, he gave you the power to forgive. If you're having a difficulty with that in your life, would you raise your hand? I just want to pray with you this morning that God would give you power. Thank you, man, for your honesty and for you. Other hands are going up.